everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. How you doing, Danielle? Where are we going? Mm, we are going to a strange place today. It is called the Own Voices Observatory. And it is a controversial little tower in Deadline City. And I figured we should visit it and have a discussion. Because those microscopes, telescopes. Yeah, telescopes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think we have some things to say about it because I'm seeing it pop up in all of these book announcements and all of these Publishers Weekly things and on book cu- book jackets. And it's it's a new flavor du jour. I mean, it has been for a while, but we need to talk about it. Absolutely. I think that... Um, it's something that takes up, has taken up so much of the language around books since 2015, I want to say. Um, but if you don't know what the term own voices means, it was actually something that was coined by a YA author named Corinne Divis. Um, and they... I actually read this in a Publishers Weekly article where they said um, that they never predicted that the hashtag would have such an impact on the publishing industry because when they first coined it, it was just to sort of like toss out book recommendations uh, one night on Twitter, right? Like, give mm-hmm. me recommendations for books about X written by X. Right. And it's just, uh, Corinne Divis is, uh, an advocate, uh, and founder, I think one of the founders of disability and kidlet. Um, so it was like a disability book written by a person who is disabled, um, a Latinx, uh, a Mexican book written by somebody who is Mexican. So that's what it means. It does not mean, let me get a horse novel (laughs) written by uh, an equestrian (laughs) oh my god right exactly and we were see we were seeing a lot of that right i don't like the term to be honest i feel like it's not it shouldn't it shouldn't be for it shouldn't be for publishing i just think that it has been co-opted by publishers and agents and and things like that to say there's nothing wrong with this book. So it gets a pass. Let's not critique it. That's what I think. That's why I don't like it. Okay. And that's fair. Um, You know, I think it's interesting because I love the intention of own voices. I love what it seeks to do for me as a reader. Like what you said, like I know, Oh, own voices. That means that I'm going to be getting, you know, a more authentic take on, on a thing and it should be on a community or an identity. Right. Um, which is great because then I can feel safer going into that book. And, you know, I just really think it has been twisted and used as a shortcut for publishers to telegraph that they're doing the work and answering the call for diversity and inclusion. Sure. And I think it becomes something that is like anything, a tool to be wielded. 
I do think that the positive outweighs the negative, but that doesn't mean that I have to like it <laughs> because it's weaponized. Yeah. I think it's weaponized. Um, I think that um, there are some instances where when we're talking about like fantasy and science fiction and we're writing about a race that doesn't exist and we're like, it's an own voices race because it's like coded as X, Y, Z. I get the intent, but I don't think that it does what people think it does. What do you think about okay. that? Yeah. I think that, um, the intention was like if great, somebody were right. to call the bells own voices, own voices. So what? Because it's not set in, in this Cause world. Cause you're beautiful. No, <laughs> I want to fight you. It's own voices. Cause there's a black girl on the cover, but there's no themes about the black American community that are direct. Like there's no direct analog to black America. There's no direct analog to racial politics. It's just that there is a, a, a girl who's coded as black as the main character. And mm-hmm. they're shouting that out, but right. Like, the term can fall apart really easily. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's sort of where it, there's like, there's a, it breaks down for me there. And, and so for me, it's like problematic when, when I wrote incendiary, it is a Spanish inspired fantasy and people call it either a Latinx fantasy or an own voices fantasy. And I'm like, it is neither of those things because I don't know who needs to tell you this, but Spain is in Europe. <laughs> right. Uh, and therefore not part of Latin America. And even though I'm, I have like Spanish ancestry somewhere in there, it, it's not, I don't claim to be from Spain, you know, like I don't know enough about that culture to be like, I am, I am a Spaniard, right? Like I'm, I'm from Ecuador. And so the things that I studied about Spain and did my research on a very specific time period, I still created, I still created a fantasy that has an inspiration and a nod, but it isn't Spain. So like we shouldn't apply those terms to that book. Yes. And it's weird because, um, I get frustrated because the term has a great sentiment and it is such an important tool for readers to just know a little bit more about what they're getting, but it does fall apart in certain contexts. And I just, haven't loved how I've seen publishers use it. And so what I mean by that is, you know, um, if you're in the industry, like we are, we always like to keep an eye on what books are coming. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know who to support, like who we're getting ready to support and what to get excited about. And in this, and people are starting to put publishers, publicists, industry people, Hashtag own voices author. Like I've seen that a lot. Hashtag own voices author or hashtag own voices. This book about X, Y, and Z into the pitch. And it was like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, why, what are we trying to actually say here? 
Um, and you mean to say when the author wasn't own voices? No, just in general, like because just it's going to force people to come out of, come out about certain things, right? It's one thing to say hashtag own voices. This is a book about you know what I mean, nineteen twenties Black America, and it's by Danielle Clayton, right? So you can infer, oh, this is about Black America. It comes from an own voices author who is Black. Me, but did you right? time travel? I really is <laughs> like you. But I mean, but so so that's that's where it gets tricky for me, right? How how close is it? It's just shared identity. It's a shared identity. But what if like for instance me, I if I write if I write a young Latin boy and I start calling that book own voices, that's a problem because yeah. I don't embody that experience. And I don't know what that in- experience is like. Do you remember when you got put on hashtag own voices lists for laugh and lost? Oh my God. <laughs> because but you- I did get put own right. voices list for Labyrinth Lost because it it's- is Latina and I am Latina. However, <laughs> however, um, because the character because Alex Mortiz in Labyrinth Loss is also bisexual people also were like like I I still have a lot of people who think I'm I'm bisexual I am not I'm painfully straight I know it's really sad and like I'm sad for you thank you um, you're welcome but- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> what's so but- funny is that people put her on lists for like queer representation I did so I was never put on these lists until whatever like I won't go into it but like people started putting me on these lists like recently and I'm like why are people doing this I have literally never if you see if you spend like 10 (laughs) seconds with me on Twitter you'll see what a gross thirst monster I am for Maluma Uh, for muscle male muscles trash I'm not like I don't need to defend myself, but it's just <laughs> don't in the streets. It's, it's fine. just it's just funny because yeah. um it's it's like something that I've never actually said. It's just been attributed to me without my there's nothing I can do about it, right? Yeah. And I I I I don't want to hurt anybody who would want to support a bisexual, like an own voices bisexual author. I don't want to hurt somebody. So like, I don't want that person to be like, feel tricked because somebody with misinformation uh, or purposeful misinformation put me on X, Y, Z. Right. And so that's where I feel like we get into a really dicey situation of authors having to explain or come out, right? There are some instances like recently it's getting really crazy where like authors, queer authors are forced to come out of the closet professionally, even if they're not out of the closet in their personal lives, which is dangerous because not everyone, like we're still, we're still living in a time where like, yeah, sure. We have a lot of laws that protect queer people, but they're still persecuted and there are still a lot of laws that don't. So, uh, when we get into this thing where we're forcing, like, if you only want to read books by people that are out 
and say that their own voices, that's, that's, you know, support those people, but forcing others to come out is like, it's like a little weird, man. It is. I mean, it, it feels violent, right? It feels like a forced oh, thing. Yeah. Um, and no one should have to disclose it. It's the same thing with, if you have mental illness or mm-hmm. if you're neurodiver- neurodivergent, right? Like if you have other things, if you have invisible disabilities and you're not comfortable talking about them, that it is your right to privacy. It is your right to be able to have parts and aspects of your life that are private for you. What happens is that we become public figures and everyone believes that everything is public and that the art that we make is supposed to reflect everything about us. And therefore we have to justify the things about us in order to write about them. And I think that's where we got off the rails with this term and where I'm like, own voices is dead, which people hate it when I say that, but that's literally how I feel. And I feel that way because we've gone sort of down a dark rabbit hole where everything has to be justified when the original call for diversity and the call for marginalized content creators to be able to tell their own stories was because so many people were writing cross-culturally and and writing stories that weren't about them and doing it and being profit profitable for a long time to where when I would write a book about a black girl, I would get rejected because they already had that book on their list written by a white woman. And so literally it wasn't to force people to justify who they are um, at the intersections of identity. It was to make sure that we prioritized people telling stories about people that look like them, people that experience all of the special intersections. That doesn't mean that you have to come out about it. It doesn't mean like these are things that can be private, uh, I believe, but I think it's become a measuring stick. And I was reading the other day on Twitter where just a random retweet came into my feed where someone said, if it's not in your Twitter bio, then it's not true. Right? Like talking about identity, talking about who you are. And I thought, wow, there's so many things that are not in my Twitter bio that people don't know about me. Yeah. That show up in my stories. Right. And I am so frustrated and saddened by that because I'm like, okay, I've got to list, you know, my, my bowel disorders, my immunocompromised (laughs) body from my liver tumors, my sexuality, my, you know what I mean? I've got a lot of things to list then. Can I put the Irish flag in there? Cause we can do my, I can put my DNA test there. And like, I'm looking at 25% from American chattel slavery. Thanks British and Irish folks. You know what I mean? Like what else do you want in the bio to justify the stories that I'm telling? And it just becomes a conundrum that I think writers are put in where yeah, a good for label, sure. where a good label is used by a machine that has problems and wants a quick band-aid fix and it didn't work. It fell apart. We profit off of art. And so we are in this structure and publishing wasn't traditional publishing wasn't built for us initially, right? The access to books, all these things. And so the people who got to tell stories, like we just, we just got used to, um, 
white women writing about, you know, poor kids from the other side of the tracks. We just got used to all of these stories. And then when the call for diversity happened in very loudly in, in 2000, in the early 2000 teens, uh, the answer was like, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to add diversity into my books, but that's where we got, that's how we got here. Right. That's how we got to this place where, um, Somebody can come off the street and say, I am now, I just, I recently discovered that my grandmother was Ecuadorian. Therefore, (laughs) I'm going to write a story about an Ecuadorian family and, uh, and it's going to be own voices because X, Y, Z. Right, because of all of these reasons. Are you writing a story that is true to you, or are you writing a story because you want to profit off a of marginalization that you don't embody? Right. And that and that gets tricky. And there's a lot of conversation on the timeline. Like, um, I go and and speak at conferences, writers' conferences, and I was at one at an SCBWI before pandemic. And I had a white woman stand up and ask me a question after I've given a presentation about how I mine my own life, like what's happened, because I live a very curious life. I'm very curious, like I should, I have a cat with nine lives, should be out of here by now, right? Like my whiskers are all burnt up. I burnt my tail because I'm very curious. And that is what populates my stories. And I was saying that I use my real life for seeds. All of the books at Cake come out of a seed from my life. Um, Colorful characters come from my family, come from schools, all of that stuff. And after that presentation, where you can tell that I write diverse books, I concept diverse books, all of those things, she asks, is there space for white children in publishing anymore? (laughs) And I had to keep my face together and you could see the, and hear the groans. Um, and I was so frustrated by that question because I was like, what makes you think after I showed you statistics, after I talked about why I do what I do, why I write what I write, would you ever fix your mouth to ask me something so ridiculous when everything is made for you? And where I'm fighting to make sure other people who look like me can even get through the door and even have a shot at telling a story about a character that looks like them. And then there's another layer of like, okay, so now you're through the door. Now you've got to justify why you're here. But we really have to talk about how identity politics, identity premises, what we say we are and who we are gets weaponized again because of capitalism, what you brought up in order to sell right? Everything is for sale. So if you say, if I say that I have a great grandmother who is Latinx, um, then I can tell my publisher that as a justification and a shield from any criticism I might get for piss poor Latinx representation in my book, right? Mm -hmm. Or to justify my space. That's the problem I'm having because people who actually don't walk around and experience the identities that they purport to have and who say that they have this identity premise aren't actually living it and have seen the 
the cracks in the system and the cracks in own voices to be able to manipulate it, to say, I might inhabit the body of this. However, I have this thing in my background. So therefore I'm going to put that forward and answer the call for We Need Diverse Books. And it, and I have a bee in my bonnet about it and it's frustrating and I don't want to gatekeep anyone or invalidate experiences, but I also want people who live in specific skin that is marginalized every day that they walk outside of their home, that there is no question about who they are um, and the way that they are treated, like viewed. I want them to, to be able to have space to publish and publish well without having to qualify or quantify or explain. And I'm frustrated by it. I'm completely frustrated by it and the way publishing is dealing with it. And I don't think we're dealing with it well as a community, especially not as a YA community. No. And that's, that's kind of frustrating because adult doesn't have this problem. Like adult, you know, people write about whatever they want and publishers publish whatever they want. I think, but we do have a duty for a very specific generation. We have a duty to children. We have a duty to like the children that we write for, um, and who are going to eventually read our books. And, and, and the truth is that when you read something that's harmful, it, it sticks with you, right? Like if you read a book that, that portrays your entire culture as like a bad thing or like something's wrong with it, then you're going to internalize that at such a young age when you're developing. And so that's why these things are important during, to talk about in this industry, in our segment of the industry. And we don't have all the answers. We're just all we can do is have a discussion about the things that bother us. And, and these are the things, some of the things that bother you and me. Yes. And it's something that we talk about a lot offline about how I, I used to love the term unvoices. And then I saw it go off the rails when I saw authors struggling. Um, to- is, that a, is, is that, is there a term for that where like, not because it's not Frankenstein, it's not. It's like this idea where you put something out there and it just becomes unwieldy. You no longer have control over over the thing that you created. Like a snowball? Like snowball? Yeah, there's like a snowball effect sort of like it's like it becomes an avalanche. Um and I'm not saying like it needs to like go away. I just I'm not going to use it in my books because I don't think that I've ever written maybe I think two of my romance novels have been own voices. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. <laughs> right. Because fantasy gets tricky, right? It was interesting when the bells first came out in 2018, I had a couple Your book of books that off- takes place in New Orleans. Right. Louisiana. Right. right. Which doesn't exist. Right. Or Lyon, which is a secondary world, but okay. YOLO New Orleans. Um, and people were mad that I had a queered fantasy world where the queen was queer. She had two partners, a male and a female partner. She had literally like a husband and also a beloved, like, like a wife. Um, the princess hooked up with whoever she wanted. You could fall in love with whoever you wanted. There were several, like lots of different queer characters, but one of them died mm. and people were very frustrated with me. And this character didn't die because they were queer. They died because they didn't follow instructions. And I have a villain who is just tyrannical and would hurt anything and anybody. And so 
um, they, everyone was like, oh, this straight author is killed a queer character in her book and blah, blah, blah. And is using queerness and in a, in a fantasy world. And it was like, hello, you don't know me. You don't know me. And I don't live my life online. I am on the very edge of the millennial generation. Like I'm in that crack, right? It feels like an ass crack mostly because I remember life before the internet, life before cell phones, um, life before computers. I remember Um, life before cordless phones. Right. So I didn't grow up living my life online and being and having all of my shit everywhere. In high school, we had AOL Messenger and that just came in and we were in chat room. Okay, a bitch is old. You remember getting those like getting those like free CDs for like yes. AOL trials? I yes. used to have so many of those. The CDs, mm-hmm. I had the floppy drip uh floppy disks, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, I still have some floppy disks. I- you said floppy dicks, just so you know, but it, but it's fine. But it's fine. <laughs> if, if you're in Deadline City, you know that there are dicks here. Oh my God. Um, talk about these things, but floppy discs. Okay. Discs. I said discs. You said dicks. D I B K S. You said dicks instead of D I S K S. But it's okay. It, it's been hard. I have a it. box of those. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's like angsty poetry there, and like all of these stuff. Um, I have nothing, I have no way to, to open those anymore. So, right. And anyway, I'm just saying, I brought it up saying that I didn't grow up online. So I don't know what it means to share so much of yourself into this online space. So when people were pressing me and asking me questions and upset with me and sending me hate mail and swarming me, I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And so, yes, I let everyone know, hello, I'm another queer person, but I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to, you should be able to look at the things that I've said online and the interviews, you know, how you were talking about anyone who goes to your Twitter for long enough will figure out exactly who you are, right? Yeah, yeah I've sure. been exactly who I am online, but without having to make some sort of grand coming out speech and put up all of these things, but there's some pressure going on in online spaces around the issue of own voices that, you know, is, can be troubling for on the other side of things. The person who already has to live in a public eye and we're trying to keep some things private so that we can create our art and create, create things so that for me, so that kids who look like me have something to read. That's like my primary focus. Yeah. Is change the shelves of libraries. So all the other shit is for the birds as far as I'm concerned. And I know that it just makes me old and crotchety, but like, <laughs> I'm not going to fucking put my resume and my DNA chart and my sexual past and like, all, you know what I mean? Everything online. Yeah. Where, like, I think it's really me. hard for a lot of people because, um, Maybe there are pe- there are people who are still questioning, you know, their identity. Like queerness is a spectrum. Yeah, over time. But then I think race is different than uh, disability and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't lump them all because absolutely. we we absolutely can't lump them all. They're very specific and different experiences. 
And I think a lot about um, authors who don't perform their marginalization Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to like get readership because sometimes people, you know, I don't blame readers for protecting themselves and being safe and like saying like, I'm only going to read books that are own voices. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, that is like a hundred percent something that like you need to do for your own personal protection and enjoyment of books. But, you know, I think about like some of our friends who are like queer and, but don't perform their queerness for the internet and therefore are always left out of queer conversations, even though they live that life every single day and experience homophobia and all of these things. And, and so that's what I, that's what bothers me about like another part that bothers me about own voices because. Exactly. Yeah, it does. And it's just tricky. It's It's a very very hard conversation because Mm -hmm. like I said, we don't have the answer and we don't know what's right because I, I don't know what somebody else is going through. Right. I don't know their life or, uh, why they're writing a book. Um, but I think that maybe an answer is if you're writing honestly and authentically and you're not doing it to say like, I'm on voices now because I want to sell a novel. Right. Authenticity is key. Exactly. And yes, our identities ebb and flow and they change and they get stronger. And you, I'm always going to be Ecuadorian. You're always going to be Ecuadorian. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm glad you, and trust me, listeners, she brings her Ecuadorian flag, which is the size of her body. The length of her body can be worn as a cape everywhere she goes and puts it up. Like never forget where this is a motherfucking Ecuadorian house up in this bitch. Like let you know. I lived with her for eight weeks and every day I walked past the Ecuadorian flag as if I had forgotten. And I'm here for it. I love it. I mean, it's, it's great, but I could have played the Negro national anthem every morning for her ass um, as a reminder. It's true. Just in case I forget. Right. Lift every voice and sing and be like, good morning. Lift every voice and sing. Let's go. You know what I mean? But like, (laughs) we don't, I guess I don't want to perform my identity. I want it to be with me the way that you have your flag with you, the way that you carry the things that are important to you, that are of your family, of your culture. Um, That's how it feels for me to inhabit this skin. And I just think that being authentic online, being authentic in your work is literally inhabiting the skin that you exist in, the the body that you exist in, um, and how you feel and the identity that you feel. Um, I just find it frustrating very frustrating when yeah. there's all performance, right? And, or, and, or just straight up lying. Lying, right? So like there are people, lying. uh, there are straight up people who like have created personas in order to sell. And I know there was a couple of writers that pretended to be, you know, certain marginalizations to win prizes. Yes. Like I pretend to be an Asian author. That was, yes, Lord. Right. People mm-hmm. would have called that book own voices. That's the thing. Like I choose to support people of color, queer people. Like when I want to read a book, like, when I want to read a fantasy book, I'm dying for Brown high fantasies with romance. Right. Like those are the kinds of books that I want to support. Yeah. 
how do you, if it's not labeled on voices, how do you vet it? Right. If somebody's right. using a pen name, this is, this is the thing where we get to this dicey territory. That's so crazy. Right. It's, it's weird. It really is weird. Um, I don't know. And I don't want to have to play Sherlock Holmes either. Negro Holmes is what I would call myself. I don't. Oh my God. What? What? I don't want to play that game. I don't want to have to do that. And I know identity is complicated and I know that it creates oppression Olympics. And that's what I feel like this own voices game does when it's not used in its original meaning for readers. Um, it means, okay, my own voices is, is this and that, and I can adopt some of them, right? It's a shifting, it can become a minstrel show very, very quickly. But I, I want and wish and hope that it can be used the way it was intended to help readers find what they're looking for. Um, and so that the readers who need it and want it and desire books by and about people who are like them can find those things and that that is celebrated. That's what I, that's what I hope. And I know this next generation is asking for those things. I remember being, we were there together. Remember when we were in Seattle and we were at that? Yeah, we were at that, that book festival. I don't remember what it was called. Oh, I do. I'll never forget it. And I was on a panel. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. And I was on a panel with several authors, um, some very famous. And one was an evangelical Christian, three were Mormons, and then it was me. I only say that to give context for them today. And a kid stood up, definitely non-binary kid, rainbow earrings, coolest like mohawk I've ever seen, um, super cute. Like, so excited. Hands shaking. Took the mic, said, I have a question. And asked, what is the sexual orientation of everyone on the panel? So everyone froze, obviously. The moderator, who was taking questions from an audience of 800 kids, (laughs) um, school kids, was like, took the question And everyone froze. The first writer said, and I've talked about this on Twitter before. First writer said, I'm married and have kids. Right. That's your sexuality. Your sexuality is married. I'm married and have kids. Second author said, I'm straight, married with children. Third author said, I'm just a Mormon boy who is now divorced. Next author says, well, I'm just like him. I'm a, but I'm a Mormon girl married to the love of my life. And I have kids, right? No one has answered the question. Then it came to me and I had to be the asshole. And I turned to everyone and I embarrassed them. And I said, um, that wasn't the question. Um, and any, all the things you listed can be something that you can have and still be on the LGBTQ plus, I, a plus team. 
and the crowd screamed or whatever. And I said, and I'm a proud B on that team, not bitch, bisexual. <laughs> and so well, things can be true. <laughs> right. And everyone like screamed and blah, blah, blah. And the kid was like visibly, their cheeks were really red and they were near tears. And they said, I, my mom told me that I should spend money in my community and with, and, and with, um, buying books that are from other queer people like me and like my family. And that's why this kid asked that question and none of the adults were able to answer it. And that's okay. If you don't want to answer a question like that, it's very personal, right? I worked with kids forever and you say, Oh, my sexual orientation is none yet, none of your business, but thank you so much for asking that. And if you want any, you know, um, recommendations for books about and by other content creators that might share yours, please let me know and see me after, right? I have a hundred of them and you just swerve, swerve, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a tough question, but it's, it's a sign of the times that this next generation is like, no, I want to know who you are. I want to know why I should spend my money buying your book. I want to know if you're a part of my community or not. And I just think that it is tough. And we are in a, in a fissure of, uh, like a generational fissure and also like privacy and online versus privacy issues. And I think that the own voices label has gotten caught up in that. And I think it's just things that we still need to keep asking questions and publishers have to do better deciphering. I think we would have fewer scandalos, right? I know. I mean, recently there was an, there was an agent who got duped into signing a, a white author that pretended was pretending to be Latinx. And so how do you stop that from happening? Right. Because right. you don't want to gatekeep. Well, look at what happens when you don't ask the right questions. It's just, it, it's again, it's, it's brown face, right? right. It's a minstrel show right. and it's not fair. And we have to do a better job at making sure that we are giving opportunities to people who are of these communities who have been kept out for so long um, because there will be scammers everywhere. The yeah. fact that, you know what I mean? People are scamming in terms of identity. It's very scary. It's actually, it scares me. Um, But I think that what we can do is write honestly, write with intentionality. And which I think we've said before, but you got to say it again, write honestly and write with intentionality. Um, And And I think yourself. yourself. And I think also share what you want to share online, but also be aware of the conversation and why it's fraught and why it can be tough. For a lot of people, there are so many of us um, that have been blocked from publishing for so long. It's why the numbers are the numbers. And it's time for us to have honest conversations. And I wish publishers would knock it off with the using of own voices as a shield for online criticism or for criticism in general. And I hope that we can stop forcing people to come out forcing people to disclose private information in order to tell them that, or to prove that it's okay that they've written a book or participated in a form of media. Um, We've got to figure out a way around having an honest conversation about who gets to publish books about what, and also 
this disclosure piece. When it comes to race, that, you know what I mean, that is, can, I don't know if it, it feels easier, maybe, maybe not, depending on what community you're in. I know mm-hmm. everybody likes to pretend to be Latino out here. I'm like, I'm ready to do so. Like, come, come. Latino by association. A bitch is ready. <laughs> Good food. I know all the music. I can dance. Zoraida's seen it. Yeah. Please tell the people. Let them know. You are an excellent salsera, reggaetonera. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know that bachata beat. I know how to move my booty. However... You won't catch me playing games, right? In <laughs> with someone else else's identity, um, in that way, you know what I mean. Taking a spot uh, away from someone who can tell a story that is authentic and from from their background. Uh, and I, what I would like to see is, I would like to, when it comes, you know what I mean, especially to racial identity. This is something Zoraida and I talk about a lot. How much I would love to see the intersections of blackness and Latinxness mm-hmm. really bubble up and to see yep. black people whose skin is black uh, get opportunities in publishing that are visible so that we can, so that even the black community itself can open up its open up and say, let's talk about all of these intersections um, and welcome our Spanish speaking, you know, folks from the Latinidad into this community as well and have a fellowship because I would love to see, see more of that visibly. I think that most of my students teaching in East Harlem, which is Spanish Harlem, were from black communities in Central and South America. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had nothing for them, not a single book that featured a kid that was, had black skin and 4C hair that spoke Spanish. That was, yeah. And I think that like Afro-Latinos and are some of the most erased yes. people in our publishing industry. And the, it like really, the most, yeah. I think, and it really cooks me. And you know this because I'm always yelling about it. I mean, we're always talking about it. So <laughs> I know. everybody knows this is just like a personal conversation that we're putting on Deadline City. <laughs> it is. And it's something that I'm, it's a top of mind for me. Um, in terms of mentorship, in terms of the voices I would like to help usher in, in terms of who I'm looking for to like push forward to the front of the motherfucking line, right? Like, come on, it's time for the world to know. It's there are people that I'm, I keep thinking about over and over again. All those, all of those kids um, of mine. So, so yeah, own voices is a mess in summary, but I don't think it should be should fully go away. I think it should be used in the reader space versus the publisher space. We've got to figure out what to do, but we have no answers. Nope. We just have a discussion and hopefully you can continue this discussion with us uh, and let us know your thoughts. All right. Thanks so much. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Deadline City. Thank you so, so much for listening to us. Our goal is to demystify the publishing and writing process and count on listeners like you for your support. So don't forget to review, comment, subscribe, and chat with us on our Twitter and Instagram Deadline City accounts. If you like what you hear, buy us a coffee on Ko-fi or join our Patreon community. So see you next week. And for now, right on.
Deadline City is part of the Frolic Podcasts Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.